Hello and welcome back to the Life Vineyard Church podcast. This week we resume the Inside Out series as John leads us in an exploration of inner prayer. Well, good morning. Come over to the middle. There should be a slide coming up. Yes, that's the village where I was born in Northern Ireland called Garva. And the red arrow there points behind that uh, clock tower because the house that I was uh, born in is there. That's the next slide. If you can see where I was born, it's been painted there. That's the house that I was born in. Um, And uh, it's now a post office. It was my father's uh, shop and house. And I lived there for 20 years. and uh, I thought I'd let you know that. And they still haven't put a plaque up to say that I was born there. <laughs> uh, I can't understand that. Um, it's, it's a daunting thing to come and talk to you about prayer. Because um, I, don't, I don't consider myself a great prayer. And I suspect that most of you are in the same situation. And if I asked you about your prayer life, if you're really honest, you'll say, well, it's okay. And some of you might say, well, I'm struggling. And some of you might say, well, uh, yeah, am I right? Or are you all brilliant prayers? <laughs> mm, yes. Okay, I get the message. Do you remember, um, there's a question for you. Do you remember your first prayer? Do you remember, who taught you to pray? Who taught you to pray? Um, Because I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer, and I'm going to read that passage in Matthew, but in Luke's Gospel, um, the disciples, they'd been watching and listening to Jesus pray, and they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they saw something different in the way that Jesus prayed. Do you remember, who taught you to pray? It was my parents who taught me, and I can't remember whether it was my mum or my dad. We called them mummy and daddy in, in, when I was little. And the prayer that they taught us and taught me was, God bless mummy, God bless daddy, God bless Glenda, that's my sister, and God bless me, and make me a good boy in Jesus' name. Amen. And that prayer has never been answered. <laughs> uh, uh, and then after that, it was the Lord's Prayer as quick as possible, because it was a freezing cold bedroom in the winter with no heating, and I just, I had to do it on my knees at the side of the bed, uh, in my pajamas, and it was cold, and I want, and it was all right when there's just four people to pray for, but then another sister came along, Mildred, and then my brother Alan, and then a sister Lorraine, and another sister Shirley, so there's eight people. I I could rattle through that really quickly. And, but I've grown in prayer thanks to a Christian Endeavor meeting I used to go to and the lovely man of God who encouraged us all and made sure we, we prayed out loud. Uh, and eventually I grew more confident in prayer. Sometimes being thrown into the deep end in prayer is a good thing. Yeah. And I, yeah. Prayer is such a wonderful gift. From God, isn't it? We don't appreciate it enough. One of the most challenging statements about prayer, which will come up, is one 
by Andrew Murray. He says, the person who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. Wouldn't you love that to be you? Why not? Why not? Pray it now. Oh God, could I be that person? Uh, but the man who excited me most about prayer and motivated me most about my need for more prayer in my life was James Alexander Stewart, which I've told you a lot about in the past, who God used to bring revival right across Europe. And he wrote that there will be no revival unless every member in the church, and he says, he uses the word travail, uh, which is uh, giving birth, is praying uh, painful, laborious prayer in, uh, well, he was quoting from Isaiah 66, verse 8, yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to children. And he was saying that we need people who are going to labor uh, and, and struggle and groan in prayer before we see children, new Christians being born again. And he says many times, and he, he preached right across Europe right up till 1938, uh, the beginning of the, you know, the end, middle of the war, 39, no, beginning of, before the war started, Second World War. And he said, many times we have heard the sobs and groans of precious saints before and during the services in Europe. Sometimes it was so great, it was impossible for me to preach. The, the people were praying. And before revival broke out all over Hungary, the Lord introduced me to a very unique sister in Christ. Her husband was a member of an aristocratic family, but she was burdened about his spiritual condition as well as that of her son. She was also worried and burdened about the deplorable state of the Lutheran church in Hungary at that time. And he says that in all of our prayer meetings, listen to this, he says, in all of our prayer meetings, no matter if there were four or 5,000 people present, can you imagine that? Where would we, where would we meet four or 5,000 people to pray? Um, I think there's a slide coming up. I mean, that's, uh, uh, that's one of the places where James Stewart was preaching where there were 5,000 present, but he had prayer meetings like that. But he said, in all of our prayer meetings, no matter how many people, she would always raise her hand and cry to the pulpit, Brother James, do not forget to pray for the Lutheran church. Don't forget to pray for my husband and son. And that was their prayer meetings. People shouted out requests and names of people they wanted to see saved. And he says she was a unique woman. She was like Hannah in the Old Testament who was crying in the temple and, and a sorrowful spirit agonizing in prayer. And no matter what, he says, no matter what the time of day or night, this lady would always be found at one of the prayer meetings for the lost in our nation. He said whether it was three o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock in the morning. And he said, one morning around 4 a.m., as I was visiting some of the prayer meetings in Budapest. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going around visiting prayer meetings at 4 o'clock in the morning? He said, I discovered that she must have been in one of these meetings for 12 hours in a Methodist church. And he said, I quietly touched her on the shoulder and kindly said to her, dear sister, you ought to go home now. 
you've been here long enough. And he said, she looked at me through her tears and said, oh, James, don't send me home. I cannot go home. Besides, you are not the Holy Spirit. I like that. <laughs> you are not the Holy Spirit. I cannot go until he releases me. Oh, pray with me. My burden is great. And he said, some years later, the bishop of the Lutheran Church uh, in Hungary thanked him for bringing revival to the Lutheran Church. And he said, I replied to him, I said, brother, you're wrong in thinking that I brought revival. It is true that I preached to thousands, but the awakening came to your denomination through the agonizing prayer of one woman. The difference one woman can make to a denomination. The difference that one man or woman could make to the life vineyard. Do you get the message? Who in Life Vineyard are going to become the heroes or the heroines of agonizing prayer? Let's just pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. And you know that we're all really like beginners. And Father, you know that I don't feel qualified to speak about prayer this morning, but you can. And we just welcome your Holy Spirit, empower me and enable me to say the things that you want your people to hear. Send your Holy Spirit to teach and inspire and set your people on fire for the lost in our nation. Amen. Let's just read from Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. What a prayer. Jonathan Edwards wrote a paper or a book entitled A Call to United Extraordinary Prayer. And he writes, Prayerfulness is the natural response of a heart that is fully caught up in all Christ is to us, over us and within us, through us and before us and upon us. Christ defines our agenda for prayer. 
remember that. It's not our agenda, it's his agenda. Christ opens up the door to heaven to present our prayers. Christ is the ultimate answer to all our prayers. It's awesome, isn't it? Do you catch something of that? It's, you know, it's just great to sing all those songs about Jesus this morning because he defines our agenda in prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, there's a number of things to notice that I came to Notice that Jesus probably never prayed the Lord's Prayer because he didn't need to. He never needed to ask forgiveness because he never sinned. Notice too that in the Gospels how often Jesus prayed. And I was thinking, well, if Jesus needed so much prayer, how much more do we sinful human beings? He asked his disciples to pray and they failed. And I wonder, are we failing Jesus because of our failure in prayer? I notice that this is a short prayer. Short prayers are good. There's a few of them in the Bible. You know, Lord, have mercy on me. John Wimber used to pray that a lot and say, oh, mercy, Lord. I notice that Jesus prayed out loud. How else would we have his prayers recorded? You know, John, John 17, which is a long prayer, but it might be made up of short prayers. Um, yeah, Jesus prayed out loud. It's interesting, the Orthodox Church pray out loud. By Adriana, my wife, when she prays, she prays out loud. And I can hear her praying in another room sometimes. And there's something about praying out loud, I believe. Um, there's times when we can be silent in prayer, but prayer is spoken. And there's something about speaking out loud. And I love to do that. I love to stomp around the house and pray out loud. You can shout when you want to be aggressive in prayer. Yeah. So, looking at the Lord's Prayer, just a couple of things. And really, it's just one point I want to make, but it'll probably ramble around it. No, it Prayer begins with God, not us. That's the thing we've got to get a hold of. Prayer begins with God, not us. Jesus modeled for us a life of total dependence on the Father. His prayer life and his instruction on prayer are foundational if we want to grow in our prayer life. And as I've said before, I need to grow in my prayer life. I struggle at times. And especially since I've started reading James Stewart <laughs> and, and how God used him to bring revival right across Europe, that really spoke to me about the failure of my praying. When we think of our Father, remember who you're talking to. There's, do you know there, there are more Word, the word remember is in the Bible more times than the word obey or the word do or the word don't do and even the word to pray. The word remember is there more often. So remember who you're talking to. Firstly, your father is almighty God. John of Damascus, who wrote, in the, I think in the third century, he wrote it that he is without beginning, uncreated, unbegotten, indestructible, immortal, eternal, infinite in parse, uncompounded, incorporeal, uh, unchanging, unaffected, unchangeable, unaltered, invisible. Uh, you know all those words, don't you, about God? 
but he's totally different from us. I'm not like that. So he's a big God. That's where we begin. We have Almighty God as our Father. And we've got to, as he says, let this big God be the very source of being for all things that are, of life to the living, the cause of all good things for all, source of goodness and holiness, light intellectual and inaccessible, power beyond measure, maker of all things, both visible and invisible, provider for all, governing, he even says dominating, that's, and ruling over all in an unending and immortal reign. That's the meaning of our Father. He's Almighty God. We exist because God is who He is. Someone said, prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. I like that. Prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. You know, if you're feeling weak in any area of your life, Lean on the all-powerful, almighty God. So I sing, I need thee every hour, O gracious Lord. Secondly, remember that we pray to a personal God. He is our Father. The transcendent God becomes approachable. The unknown God we can know. Amazing. Our Father. I read about a man, I can't remember where I found it, he was taking his wife to visit some friends and there was no answer at the door so his wife turned to go back to the car and he said to her, hang on, I know where, where they hide their key. So he found the key and started to open the door with it and his wife was very anxious and protested but he opened, he went into the kitchen and he start, started rooting around in the cupboards and the fridge for the ingredients to make a cup of coffee. And he explained to her, he says, you're a stranger to Louisiana and Louisiana welcomed. But he says, this is Louisiana hospitality. You can come to someone else's house if they give you, tell you where they hide their key. So they were sitting around the table drinking coffee in someone else's house. And suddenly their friends turn up and they just express the delight and the thrill that they have come. And they treat him and her, him and his wife as if it's their house. We have a key that's not hidden. We have the key to God's house, to God's presence. We have access to him. We're always welcome. He is always available. It's not like getting an appointment with your doctor. It's much easier. When I was a child in that house, uh, I don't know whether it's there still, um, it's not, now the post office, yes. That's the, arrow of the room where I was born, by the way. Just so you know, in case you're ever in Garva, you can look it up and see if they've got my name up yet. Um, but it was a post office then when I was a child, and the sign said, David Paul, boot and shoe merchant and general draper. I never knew what that meant. Anyway, that was my father's business in our home. And I could walk into the shop from our house, because we lived in the house there, and have a chat with him. But I knew if there was a customer there with him at the time, that I shouldn't stay, that I wasn't welcome. But I knew that come six o'clock, my dad would lock the door, the shop door, he'd pull the blind down, and I knew that he was available to me all evening. But God, our Father, is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We know it 
but are we using our access enough? Are you using it enough? One of the things I've been learning this week, or this year, I've been frustrated about my prayer life and taking time with God, but what I've discovered that I'm talking to God a lot more on other times, not my regular prayer time, through the day. And that has been a blessing. But we need both. Ephesians 2 says, verse 18, for through him we, have, we both have access, the both is about the Gentiles and the Jews, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's amazing. Just keep that as a, as a, a treasure in your life, what God has made possible for us. That little old me has access to the creator of the universe. And little old you or young you that's just miraculous. What a God. Prayer is a relationship with Almighty God. Our needs may drive us to our knees, but relationship keeps us there. Someone said that prayer is climbing onto our Father's knee. We start on our knees before a majestic, powerful creator, but he is the Father who loves to hold us in his arms. I could remember as a little boy uh, climbing onto my father's knees. I can remember the smell of his jumper still. And it's funny remembering a smell, isn't it? Um, it was a good smell. <laughs> I can remember the secure feeling of his arms around me and that extra squeeze of love when he gave me a tight cuddle. I remember that. And it, that's just a tiny picture of God's desire of God's desire to love you and me. He's a good, good father. And maybe, for some of you, maybe praying to Father God is hard. Maybe because you've not had a good earthly father. Our heavenly father is a good father. He will never hurt you. A lady came to me one Sunday morning and she said to me, Will you come with me to the, uh, down to the West Road uh, crematorium, the graveyard there? She said, uh, I want to go and find my father's grave. I've never been there. I said, yes, I'll come with you. And we, went, we eventually found the grave. And she said she wanted to pray. And she got out a piece of paper. She said, I, I've written a letter to God about my father. And I just want to read it now. She read out this lovely prayer, forgiving her father for the abuse and the horrible way he was to her in her life, physical and sexual abuse. And she, she just asked God to forgive him. And it was just a, a wonderful moment of release that transformed her life, doing that at her father's grave. It was one of the most moving moments that I had in my whole ministry. Have you or can you forgive your father? You know, because of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, we have forgiveness. We have adoption into his family. We have assurance of heaven and an inheritance to come. We, have a, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus. Is God your father? Have you come to the cross where Jesus died, where he, where he took our sin upon himself? 
Have you come to the cross and received forgiveness and handed your life over to him? You can do that today. You can do that today. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, son or a daughter, then an heir through God. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Because of him, we can call God our father, our dearest father. What a humbling gift. What an honor. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Every person made in the image of God, was made in the image of God, created by God, and can pray to God. But we Christians have the unique privilege and joy of praying to our Father God. What a privilege. And the third remember, I'm not going to say much about, remember our Father reminds us that we are part of God's family. We have a family around us. Our speaks of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Who is, who is your brother? Who is your sister? Look around. See them here today. Do you value them? Do you care for them? Do you love them? Do you keep in a good relationship with them? Do you pray for them? To say our Father calls us to take a fresh look at our church community and our family. We'll have opportunity to pray this week. Lots of opportunity. I can't wait to get into some of those prayer meetings. Yeah, it's going to be good. Then hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to, be, to set apart, to make holy, to treat us holy. When God sanctifies us, his Holy Spirit works, transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. He makes us holy. Or he's making us holy. I can't say we're like Jesus yet, but one day when we see him, we shall be like him. Are you looking forward to that? Do you long to see God's name hallowed? To see God really glorified? It's easy to sing it on Sunday morning. But do you really in your heart want to see God's name hallowed? If you don't have a strong, passionate desire for that, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because, as someone said, you have nibbled at the table of the world and your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. No room for the great. What are you filling your life with? I've been reading a book um, whether any of you have looked at this book, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. Um, and it's, underneath it says, it's a vital invitation into the highest calling of every person on the planet, straight from the heart of a contemporary prayer warrior. And he writes, when you and I open our mouths and begin to pray, almost certainly another name is being hallowed in our hearts the names of accomplishment, success, productivity, approval from another person, comfort, 
easy execution of our own plans, self-will in all its destructive varieties. When we pray, we step out of the fundamental reality of the world and into the fundamental reality of God. So we must begin by inviting God to reorder our affections, the things that we love, the things that we like to do. To say, hallowed be your name, not my name, my will or my wants. Do you come with a would you come with a prayer list to God? I have a, I have a prayer list. I have a, a file listing prayers, and um, it's it's so tempting sometimes just to sit down and work through the list. But we have a we have a father. We have a relationship. God wants us to be a holy people who are hallowing His name. By the way, this book cost me 13 pounds, and I haven't opened this one, so I want to give it away, not for 10 pounds, not for five pounds, for three pounds. Who wants this book? <laughs> right, the first one to get it after the service can have it. <laughs> yes, you can come now, you can have it, come and get it. He was, he was ready to go. And when you've read it, pass it on. And you can charge a pound for it if you want to. Um, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. In Numbers 20, verse 12, the Israelites are thirsty. They've got no water. And God tells Moses to take his staff out and tell the rock to yield water. But Moses is fed up with the people. He's full of anger and bitterness towards them. And he goes up to the rock and he strikes it twice with his staff or with his rod. And the water comes out. And the people are thrilled. But God is not pleased. He says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. You see, he, he hallowed himself in a way because he struck the rock and it would look to the people as if he was the one who brought forth the water. But God said, because you didn't believe in me to uphold me as holy, to speak the words I give you. And he said, you'll suffer for that. You won't go into the promised land. Moses didn't believe God. His anger and his bitterness caused him to strike the rock twice. Moses' leadership faltered at a crucial moment when he stopped believing and trusting God and started acting on his own impulses. We've got to watch out, haven't we? Isaiah 12, 13, God's word to Isaiah, do not fear what they, that's the people, what the people fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. Hallowing God is to fear displeasing God more than the fear of hostility of men or anything else. Don't fear losing your home or losing your wife or losing your children or your bank account or your car or whatever else you value and treasure. Fear the prospect of saying no to God, of not hallowing him. Leviticus 22, God said, you know, well, he says literally that we hallow the name of God when we keep his commandments, when we obey. 
Are you obedient? It's easy to sing, hallowed be your name, or holy, holy, holy. But are we really believing and trusting God? Are we angry and bitter? Are we fearing men more than God? Are we obeying? That's the challenge, I think, when we come to prayer this week. And I encourage you to come. I'd love to see the, reach the place where we haven't got enough room for everyone to get in to pray. That would be wonderful. You know, make a commitment to come as many sessions as you can on the Friday night, all night, half night of prayer. There will be a break every on the hour. There'll be a 10 minute break so you can grab a coffee. But there will be great opportunities to pray and hallow God's name. Not coming with our list because we are going to listen to God as well and let him lead us. And he may take us in a totally different, different direction at, at any of those meetings that we have. Listen to God. Prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done here on earth. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. Prayer is a declaration of dependence on our Father. I need thee every hour. And is it, you know, is it possible that in this world where there's so much brokenness, envy, division, hatred, selfishness, violence, Prejudice, injustice, oppression, war, hunger, and the tyranny of material things. Is it possible that God would look down on us and make us instruments of peace, of love, of righteousness and holiness? That a petition to our Father to have his will done on earth as in heaven could receive a yes. Is it possible? Mm. Is it possible? That's it. It is possible. John Weir wrote an account of the 1859 revival in Ireland. He called it, Heaven Came Down. A community was saturated with the presence of God. It was like heaven on earth. Evan Jones, an instrument of God in the, in the 1904 Welsh revival, wrote an account of the revival and he called it, Rent Heaven. Um, from Isaiah 64, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, uh, that the mountains might flow down at your presence. You know, if one were to describe in a word the outstanding feature of those days, they would unhesitatingly have replied that it was the universal, inescapable sense of the presence of God. God came down powerfully. That's what we pray for. That's why we're, it's revivals a lot in the themes each night when we're praying. In 1904, God had literally, uh, Evan Jones says, God had literally rent the heavens and come down and scattered the satanic hosts in Wales and saved a nation. The Lord had come down. God is always near. That verse in, in 2 Thessalonians where it says, the Lord is near, don't be anxious. And I always thought the Lord is near referred to a second coming. No, it's not. When you're anxious, he is near. In other words, Paul's saying, pray. When there's a problem, when the nation is in a mess, the Lord is near. He's waiting. He's anxious to, to change this land around for Jesus. When we allow our Father in heaven into our hearts and lives to occupy our minds and thinking, when we say yes to his will, when we praise his name in words and deeds and thoughts, 
God is there. We transform earth into an abode of heaven. I used to sing that old song, heaven came down and glory shone around. That's what's happened. That's what we want to see in our land. So will you unite in prayer this week? Will you commit to pray at home and in church and at work and with your friends at every opportunity? Will you pray on the streets? Will you pray in the shopping center when you do your shopping? Will you pray in the parks? Will you that God would rend the heavens and come down. Will you believe God?